Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today. We're taking your calls. It's all Thanksgiving all the time. Because we know everybody's getting ready and everybody's freaking out and everybody's trying to travel. Um, mm-hmm. 410-662-8780 or email us at wipr.org. And Cindy, so what, what are the questions you're dying to get? Oh, well, I'm ex- I think I'm expecting, I love it when people ask about my cranberry relish. So I'm always happy to give out that, that recipe or the ingredients in that. I'm, I'm, I would be surprised if somebody doesn't want to talk about how to roast a turkey properly, you know, to keep it from being dry. And, um, you know, but my question is, I really want to hear some folks talk about, uh, because I didn't grow up here. I grew up in North Carolina and then Northern Indiana, uh, although my family is from York, Pennsylvania, so they bring their traditions. But there's a tradition here that is sauerkraut on Thanksgiving, which we don't have, as far as I, I don't recall that for, for uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch cooking in York. So I would love to hear, you know, why that is a tradition and, um, you know, what, what people's tradition is in reference to that. Uh, yeah, hearing sure. people's, and I'm kinda... sorry, hearing people's traditions, hearing people's, you know, secret recipes handed down for X number of generations, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's amazing stuff to get. Love it. Love it. Well, it's just nice to hear something, uh, you know, something different that people do something unusual for Thanksgiving. I'd like to hear that. And also, you know, last year, People didn't get to celebrate the way that they are used to. So um, I think there's a lot of pent up like, yes, cannot wait to be together this year. And it's really going to be a celebration because we can be together uh, when we do things correctly. And um, gosh, you know, I mean, I think people are probably just going to be so excited for the holidays this year after what we've all been through throughout the entire world. But we are talking about our Thanksgiving. So that that hits America. And, um, you know, I think the other thing I'm curious about is, you know, I want to hear people's pies, you know, which is your favorite in your family? What do you, you know, I'm, I'm totally interested in hearing about pie. I started making Christmas cookies last week because I, not, not to what? save or anything, but I, I just wanted to try out some new recipes. What? And so what? I made a couple of different new ones at home, um, for fun. And, and, hey, Cindy, uh, you know, last week was November 6th. I'm just practicing recipes. Do you think anybody minded when I made some some you cookies go, did, for everybody at did, work, Tony? Did, did, you, did, you, Tony, did you go into Target bad, and decorate so you didn't for get everybody? Any. Tony, you're bad. You didn't get any cookies. I'm not all right? bad. Everybody I'm just seasonally did. appropriate. <laughs> I don't think anybody minds getting I can't, snickerdoodles. I can't, or I can't wait till I, May when I can get ready for the 4th of July. <laughs> you're no fun, Tony. You don't like holidays. What are you talking about? Come on. All right, oh so... Let's get, you know, I think we, you know, I think one of the things I recently have been uh, traveling to North Carolina to see my family for the first time in a long time. And um, on that trip, we, uh, we cooked together and I realized there's something, you know, there's, it's not easy to cook in somebody else's house. It just isn't, it doesn't matter if you're a professional chef or if you've, you're a good cook or you're sort of a good cook or whatever. It's just hard to walk into somebody else's kitchen. And so my suggestion is to do what I actually teach new cooks that I hire to do, which is orient yourself right away. Um, So take a minute and walk through all the spaces, walk through their dry storage where they have their pantry stuff, Uh, open up all the cabinets, you know, one at a time, don't make a mess. Yes. You don't think like your mother-in-law, for example, isn't going to think that you're being nosy? Oh, I don't know. I, that never occurred to me. Well, if, if, you're, if that's the problem, then don't do it. 
<laughs> but I mean, if it's okay to do it, do it. Because how else are you going to know where everything is? How else are you going to be productive? How else are you going to help put, you know, how are you going to help do the dishes? Everybody has to work together as a team. Um, you know, unless there's some other situation, then don't listen to me. But it's basically, you know, open the cabinets, see what's going on. So you know where everything is. And, you know, if there's dry goods that are available to you, then you know what there is. Or if you brought all your own product, you know, also think about when you bring product to somebody else's house, that they're already going to be maxed out with their refrigeration. So can you bring it in a cooler? Uh, and is that something that you can sustain? In other words, if you come a couple of days early, you're going to have to run out and get some ice for that thing. Or, you know, maybe you can do those, those, uh, those, I forget what those things are called, those blue things in the plastic that you can pop in the freezer, maybe bring a couple extra of those. So that way you can just <clears throat> keep, keep yourself in a situation where your product is cold and you're not taking up the host's room in their refrigerator because I'm sorry, God help them if they only have one. There's no way at Thanksgiving you can handle, you know, it's just, it's like, it's to me, it's one of, and I'm very organized. So it's just super like hard on the host and for the person coming in and cooking if there's nowhere to put anything. So be thoughtful as a guest coming into somebody else's house and, um, you know, try to be as organized as possible and, and as much as you can pre-prepare something and that Thanksgiving lends itself to that. Uh, maybe you're bringing soup. Well, it can be made and just heat it up. How nice, you know, that's a great guest right there. And maybe bring your own pot. You know, that was the other thing I was thinking about, Tony. You know, like what tools would you bring if you were going to somebody else's house, you know, just to make sure, you know, maybe they don't have a whisk that you're used to using or uh, 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 tongs that you like or, well, I mean, I for sure bring my knives. Um, but what do you like to bring if you're, if you're cooking somewhere else? That's, well, one, we are live today. You can join us, 410-662-8780. Um, let us know about, your Thanksgiving plans that are coming up. Uh, do you need help with a solution on a dish or a tip on a recipe? Uh, what is your tradition? Um, do you need help with some innovative idea that you have? Uh, do you need a wine match? Actually, one simple uh, storage thing that will help you, don't put wine in the refrigerator. What's the temperature outside right now? It's probably 40, 45 degrees. That's ideal. That's ideal. Just bring the reds in a little bit early, but that that's ideal. And Cindy, what if I'm going elsewhere? Knife. Um, two two knives. I, I have like an all-purpose serrated knife that doubles for bread or tomatoes mm -hmm. or some sort of any sort of delicate product that need that. And I've got mm -hmm. one literally like a smaller traveling eight-inch chef's knife. I don't like to bring any of the machetes into someone's house. No, <laughs> you don't need to. Or when the boys but first yeah. called that giant knife. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, one of the other things you can do also, if you, if you do end up cooking relatively often at other people's homes, is you can always get a knife roll. They're not that expensive. You can find them on the internet. And, um, you know, you, that way your knives are safe. They're protected. You're not going to hurt anybody. Your knives aren't going to get hurt. And you can roll them up in there and you can throw some other tools in there. Maybe you have a favorite peeler or, like I said, a pair of tongs or <clears throat> whatever. You can put some small other tools in there. Not a lot of big things, but a wooden spoon. But, yeah. And the other thing, too, is I think it's super helpful to the host if, if you are doing a soup, you know, bring that soup pot with you. Uh, why not? And that way you don't even have to, you know, find a pot that's the right one. You don't want to walk in there with a whole bunch of stuff. But at the same time, if, you're, if your contribution may be like one or two dishes, maybe you come pretty uh, self-sufficient. Uh, that's probably pretty nice. 
Yeah, but I would like to know what people's opinion is on that. You know, maybe maybe people don't want people walking in with some stuff. I don't know, but I'd love to hear what people think about it or their, um, you know, the ways that they handle themselves when they go cook in somebody else's house. I'll tell you what, what is an, I think is an easy and very successful way to have total control over what you're cooking and just walk in and have it thrown into an oven is to do some kind of a gratin. You know, if you're doing, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's potato gratin or if it's uh, pumpkins or if it's whatever it might be, you know, you, you can yeah. build that exactly the way that you want. Could be cauliflower, could be, you know, mm-hmm. Brussels, go on and on and on. But you can do that the entire thing in a big gratin dish, have it wrapped and just ready to, to yeah, get warm. Perfect, ready to go. And that's this holiday just lends itself to that. I was thinking about sweet potatoes too. You know, that's you know the the old sort of uh, you know sweet potato that I used to do um, years ago with brown sugar, butter, a little bit of Gosling's rum if you drink alcohol, um, or if you can cook with alcohol, and um, I mean a little bit of cinnamon. Um, yeah, I just, I love those sweet potatoes and you can just, you know, you, you boil them, you mash them, you can pass them through a tammy if you have that, which is a fine sieve and a little bit of buttercream, that little bit of rum and, uh, uh, brown sugar is just so good. You could add toasted pecans to that at the last minute if you wanted to. Oh, there's just, I mean, there's so many different things you can make ahead. Um, and that's really the key to being the host too, you know, is you've already got to tur- cook a turkey. You've got to get probably up early to get that done. It's going to take many hours, you know, having all your stuffing lined up and in a pan ready to go, um, you know, having things ready. I think one of the hardest things is to make potato mashed potatoes or pureed potatoes at the last minute. And that's the only, really the only good way to do it. And maybe you don't do mashed potatoes this year. Maybe you do a potato gratin like you were talking about because that that's so much easier. But then... Are you going to run well, out of oven space? And, and it's going to hold, <laughs> the its, next heat. Thing it's going is hold its heat on the table. <laughs> right. You know, that'll right. hold its heat on the table better than the, than the potato puree. So so join the conversation. You can reach us, 410-662-8780. And let's talk to Branson in Baltimore. Branson, how are you? Hey, Branson. Hello. Can you hear me Hi. okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, well... um, I actually have met you guys before, but I uh, am excited that you are talking about Thanksgiving and sauerkraut specifically. Um, I'm awesome. happy to share my sauerkraut recipe, which I don't think I'm, I don't think I am, um, you know, um, um, giving any family secrets or anything like that because <laughs> I have developed this through my own exploration. Um, although, yes, it is quite the Baltimore thing. I've actually been living in New York lately and, um, I've been making sauerkraut for my friends, and they're like, why is this so different than everything else that we get? And I have to say that anybody who gets sauerkraut and then takes it out of the brine and eats it is eating it raw, as if they were, say, getting semolina flour and eating it straight from the bag without making bread. <laughs> uh, but the preparation is very important. And you, so, you, you teach those New Yorkers, Branson, straighten them out. <laughs> Well, the, the first part is, is that the, the recipe is to get a saucepan and render a pork chop. And at this point, this blows all of the New Yorkers out of the water because um, a lot of the sauerkraut that you get in New York is from Jewish delis. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I um, take the pork chop out and let it cool. And in the drippings, I'll uh, deglaze a little bit, maybe with a bit of oil and... It's like a quarter of a minced onion and um, two cloves of minced garlic. And mm. when those are translucent, 
I will put in the sauerkraut, which I have um, drained and rinsed. So it's like the, the two-pound bag is fine if it's wet. If it's a dry sauerkraut, then I can use one pound. That's probably enough. Um, and then to that, I will add about like a tablespoon of brown sugar and um, then this trio of, uh, of herbs, which is dill weed, cracked coriander, and cracked caraway. And then mm-hmm. with that as well, I will add a, um, a julienne apple and a glass of Riesling. And I mean like four ounces, oh. I don't mean like a cup. And mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons why I'm calling and sharing this with you is that I'm wondering what you might think about what Riesling, because naturally you open a, a bottle of Riesling and use one cup of it. What do you do with the rest of the bottle that serves it for Thanksgiving? So, well, um, you, you drink it, Branson. I was going to say, you drink it. <laughs> the cooking sauerkraut well, is hard work. <laughs> I mean, I, I lived Come with on. an Italian woman for a while, and she taught me how to cook with vermouth, <laughs> the joke being that the vermouth goes in you. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you um, Branson, by the way, your, your, your recipe sounds like somewhere in a past life, you're a uh, middle European grandmother. <laughs> well, I have to say that the adaptations I put into this are, um, the addition of the coriander and the dill and also the Riesling in lieu of the, uh, the way that it kind of was handed down um, it, through family and friends was with orange juice. And I found that the orange juice was too no. sticky sweet. Um, no, you're right. And you're right. A, you're right. a dry they're Riesling wrong. was better. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. You're, you're right. They're better. wrong for sure. <laughs> the, uh, the, what I would say for the, you probably want uh, an Alsace Riesling and you don't need a, a crew, you know, something simple and, and excellent. Uh, uh, maybe a wine from Rolly Gassmann, G-A-S-S-M-A-N-N, or okay. uh, Sipmac. Those are good purchases. Excellent wines. We'll actually oh, age a little bit okay. and will carry you through uh, through a Thanksgiving meal as well or just improve your afternoon. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, um, I know Sipmac. I know some of the other ones. I'm a, very much in the German camp of, of, of wines, but it's hard to get a dry one stateside. Um, I think the one that we had recently was called Seehof, S-E-E-H-O-F. Mm-hmm. That one was very interesting. And I, I'm kind of bemoaning the, the loss of good German restaurants in Baltimore. To Cindy's point, we are a very German-focused kind of ethnic group here in the greater Baltimore. Um, but we've lost a lot of our good route, um, how, um, restaurants. I'm thinking back to standing in line in high school outside of Hausnost mm-hmm. and eating um, uh, French onion soup, baked brie underneath a titian. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So hmm. yeah, the, the other, the other uh, if it's a German that you're looking for, look for uh, Christmann. It's a producer in the Pfalz of Riesling and Spätburgunder, uh, red wine. And Brandith, Branson, thank you for the call. We're going to have to break. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Sure. You Thanks, can reach Branson. us, 410-662-8780, or email us, foremanwolf at wipr.org. We'll be back with more on Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Well, 
Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today on WIPR. We are taking your calls, 410-662-8780. Emails, foremanwolf at wipr.org. And yes, it's all about Thanksgiving. That's We found over the years, Cindy, that, that, that everyone two weeks out is when they're all of a sudden panicking, realizing they have to get ready for Thanksgiving. So we thought this would be the most helpful time to... Mm-hmm. get on that topic. And as you already established, you're a season and a half ahead of everybody anyway. You're still you're already making Christmas cookies. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, Tony. So, <laughs> another emailer after your heart uh, from Mike. I love sauerkraut and sausage. Me too. Preferably kielbasa too. at Thanksgiving oh. as well as mincemeat pie. Love the show and thanks. Oh, that's nice. That's great. Have you ever made mincemeat pie? You were talking about pies earlier. My grandmother used to make mincemeat pie. All the ladies in my family, my aunts all made them too. So I grew up with those when I was really little. We still went to North Carolina. Uh, I'm sorry, pardon me. We we drove from North Carolina up to York for Thanksgiving and Christmas every year. Uh, and um, all those things were, you know, my grandma at Christmas would make fruitcake. Um, but yeah, mincemeat pie. And I did not like that at all when I was a little girl. <laughs> I hated it. I didn't understand why there would be meat and pie. That was really hard for me to uh, deal with as a child. But I haven't had it as an adult. Um, my mom doesn't make it anymore. And uh, my mom stopped making that a long time ago. I think it's a lot of work, quite frankly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I remember one of the things my mom would do every now and then, um, cause my father loved, uh, sugar, uh, cakes, they're sugar cookies, but they're, they look like little cakes and it's, uh, again, very traditional to that region. And I have my mother's recipe and every now and then she would, uh, at, at a holiday like Thanksgiving or Christmas would make the batch of the dough right before dinner and put it in the refrigerator. And then she would surprise my dad and um, make those cookies right for dessert, fresh out of the oven and sprinkle sugar on top. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. So good. Let's take uh, some callers. Uh, let's talk <laughs> to David. And I mean, the cookies are nice. <laughs> well, we should take some callers. Let's, let's talk to David. Hi, in Middletown. David. Cindy, hi Tony. Uh, first off, uh, mincemeat, yep, super. I get mine from two local butchers, and it's the real stuff with the go. meat in it and suet. And you put it in a, a pie uh, crust, and you're good to go. But that's what I do for mincemeat. Uh, try your local mm-hmm. butcher. Um, okay. But my, qu- my question is this Cindy mentioned at the start of the show about cooking a moist turkey. I've had a lot of success with, with those real simple oven bags and spices. And my question is this, can I do better than that? Or is the oven bag about the best way that, a, that an amateur chef is going to, going to get it done? In, in my mind, the biggest thing about getting a turkey to not be dry is to not overcook it. So as always, it's that fine line between, because it's a bird, you know, you don't want obviously to make anyone sick. You want to cook it to the temperature that, that uh, makes it healthy. Um, but if you take it too far, it is just going to be dry. I mean, it's it's a low-fat bird. And, um, you know, it's in the end whether, you know, I think maybe brine, I've never brined a turkey. I've, I, I don't know why, but I've just never tried it. Um, I don't, I, I think that that process by adding moisture probably gives you a little bit more cook time. But, I mean, in the end, it's going to evaporate out anyway. 
So um, I think I think your best bet is just to take it to the right temperature to remember what that temperature was that you liked so much <laughs> the year before. Maybe make yourself a little note uh, that you can reference the following year and say, you know, I cooked this for, you know, this 18 pound bird for three and a half hours at, you know, 325 and um, it, it, it came out perfectly at this temperature. Um, so that's okay. that's you're, you're good. You're good to go as long as you don't overcook it. So and, do and you I also guess you use, use a covered uh, a covered uh, baking pan is uh, you, the, the key is to cover it over I guess. Well, so uh, you, you know you want the bird to roast in a dry heat method. So you which is in an oven. And I mean if you're roasting it in an oven there are other ways to cook a turkey, but um if you're roasting it in an oven, you you are at some point going to have to put foil on that bird because it, it takes so long to cook it, it will start to brown too much. I don't typically put put foil on it until I see that my turkey is getting to be close to the, the color and the crispiness of the skin that I want it to be. Um, it may be just the last 45 minutes of cooking that you need to cover it, but you're certainly not covering it from the beginning and leaving it covered. Um, it okay. needs to be brown. It will, if, if you keep like, let's say you had a pan that you actually had a lid for that you could put a turkey in, that yeah. thing would just steam in there. So you don't want that. You want it to be in a dry uh, heat environment. Okay. Right. Okay. And I guess yeah. in, those, in those cooking bags, essentially, that's what they do. They steam, I guess, right? Yeah. You know, I've never, I've, that, yeah, that's not something I've ever done or, you know, I've heard of it, but I, you know, and, and yeah, but to, to make sense, I mean, there's certainly different traditional French uh, ways of cooking that you would put, put something in parchment. And that is exactly what happens is that, okay. you know, it would steam. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, David. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you. Happy, happy holiday. Yep. You know, Chef, you one of my, one of my Thank favorite you. things that you'll do to make the turkey work out is you'll cheat. Me? You'll, you will. Oh, yeah. On the yeah, breast. Well, it's not you cheating. Will, you, you will you'll slip some butter in between the skin and the, right. and the meat. Right. And, 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 and I, actually, I hope he's still listening. I didn't even think to tell him that. Um, that is a big deal because the bird is relatively lean. It really does help to have butter slipped underneath the skin. So we cut uh, squares of butter um, probably maybe, I don't know, half the size of my hand and slip it in between the skin and the breast. You want it to be a little bit, you know, I don't know, thicknesses, maybe, I don't know, maybe half an inch, uh, thick. Uh, you want it to be thick enough and cold enough that it's going to do its job for a period of time before it melts. Um, and, um, if you slip it in between the, the meat and the skin, it really does, um, create, well, first of all, the skin's going to be seriously good <laughs> because you had butter right next to it while it roasted and the bird will be, um, a little bit moister. And that is how we cook it. Now I thought what you, when you said I cheat, um, I confit my legs, uh, which means that I have to take the legs off the bird, obviously before I roast it. You deal with the breast and the legs separately. I do. In, in the end, you do a disservice. I mean, I agree with you. If you do a disservice to the legs and you do a disservice to the breast by dealing with them at the same time in the same way, because yeah, they they're very different. different. Right. Um, so because the meat, the texture of the meat from the dark meat to the white meat is different. Um, it cooks at different times and it needs to, and the legs, I mean, you don't want it. I mean, obviously you want the breast to be cooked, but you really want the legs to be cooked. And again, they're no fun if they're dry. I mean, you're just, you know, to me, the leg is the best part. Uh, so you want to cook them right. But yeah, I, I remove the legs from the, from the bird. Um, we uh, season them with uh, a light salt and pepper and we immerse them in, we confit them. So they're immersed in 
butter uh, that we put a little bit of whole peppercorns and bay leaf in. Um, I don't do any other spices in there. I, I want it to taste like turkey. I just want it to be seasoned, and that cooks for several hours at a low temperature under it's at two, at 200 degrees. For uh, It depends on how big your turkey legs are, um, how long they cook. But the breasts, um, I leave it on the uh, rib cage, obviously, with the wings still intact, which helps to hold the bird up. Um, and because now you have a bird that doesn't have its legs, so it, it's a little bit more awkward to sit it in the oven. I will actually uh, do them back uh, forward head to toe if you know what I mean that if I'm doing well see I do several breasts so most people are probably only cooking one turkey but if you are cooking two turkeys you can put them uh, opposite angles to each other and they can kind of rest on each other um, and you really should be on a rack in a roasting pan you want to elevate that bird off the bottom of the roasting pan um, that also helps the heat to distribute underneath the bird. It helps the bottom of the bird to become uh, crispy and nice as well. Um, and it uh, just helps in the cooking process. But um, yeah, and then so once I've put the, uh, I also put salt and pepper under the skin. When we put the butter under, we put salt and pepper in the cavity. We put uh, onion, uh, a little bit of celery, uh, bay leaf in the cavity as well. Um, you could put garlic in there if you like garlic. You could put rosemary in there. I, I've always wanted to put rosemary in and I've never done it. Um, you could put carrots in there as well. And just, you know, you want to have some sort of mirepoix, some sort of aromatic in the cavity of the bird, unless you're stuffing it, of course, and um, and uh, then roast it uh, and, and baste it, baste it, baste it, baste it. That is another key thing to having great skin. Let's take a question from John in Perry Hall. John, how are you? Hi, John. How you doing? Good. 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 My question is about brining a turkey. I've never done it. I've always wanted to. Do you recommend it or not? I, I was just saying earlier, I have never done it, so I cannot help you with that at all. Tony, have you ever I, done that? We, we've done it in a couple of different spots when we've done turkey, and it definitely has made a difference in the results. Um, it does help a lot in keeping the, the breast moist. That being said, it's, I mean, I think step one, what the, the, the cheating that Cindy does, which is taking the breast off the legs, that, that to me is the, is the most important thing that can let you control exactly how you want things cooked. Grinding the breast in that case, I think would be huge. Make mm -hmm. a big difference. The, uh, and then legs be, have more flavor. They can take more rugged cooking. You know, that's those, those are things that you could, um, mark on a slow wood grill and then finish roasting in the oven or something like that. And you have an entirely different product and not have to go through the entire confit process. Mm -hmm. But brining can, can definitely make a difference. Do you have a for, for the breast, for sure. Would you have a, a recommended brine to use? No, I mean, something that's relatively standard. I mean, you add the seasoning that you, that you want to add, uh, you, a little bit of sugar in there is fine, but it's it's mostly salt, a little vinegar, and water. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I, I I got a brining recipe that calls for putting some bourbon in it. Oh well, you can <laughs> you you can do things more festively if you like. That, <laughs> that's getting that's, the turkey. Uh, that, that's getting the turkey drunk. That's not making it moist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the alcohol has any any positive effect on it. I think I might reserve the alcohol for the chef. Mm. I think I think that's a good idea. Okay, well, thank you. Very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Bye.
<laughs> oh, I think we had a, another sauerkraut caller on that we lost there. Oh, if we could turn this into the sauerkraut program, Cindy. I liked Branson's, uh, all the things he added. That sounded really good. That was uh, Like I said, he's, he, he has the soul for, uh, yeah, <laughs> the soul of a middle European woman. <laughs> the the I remember that one of the first times I ever made sauerkraut at home. I uh, I bought I bought pork chops like he said, which I kind of felt badly. Um, the next time I did it, I did ribs, but you know I kind of felt badly using this beautiful pork chop, you know, which is is a is a nice cut of meat that doesn't need to be braised, because what you're ending up doing is braising it. And um, so yeah, I now use pork ribs, uh, which gives you nice bone, you know, nice fat, nice flavor. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have done it with a pork chop before too. Yeah, you could always use a pork neck, which is a really nice, mm -hmm. cheap cut. And well, you don't end meat. up with, yeah, you just don't end up with very much meat. That's the thing. You know, my mom always liked no. the meat in the sauerkraut no. when she mm -hmm. made it. And she also served it with uh, mashed potatoes, which was my favorite. I used to love to just pour the juice from the sauerkraut, uh, over the potato puree. Mm. Yummy. By the way, Branson, if you're still listening, we have a, a listener request for your recipe. Oh, people are impressed. You're famous now, Branson. All right, let's go. Let's go to uh, Phil and Timonium. Phil, how are you? Hi, Phil. Thank you. Uh, hi. Um, I love uh, listening to you every Sunday. It's uh, it uh, makes me want to um, uh, cook more. <laughs> Thank um, you. Well, good. So, uh, over the nice. years, I've experimented with um, basting turkeys, and I found something that works really well. Also creates a good base for, um, uh, you know, for uh, uh, gravy. So I, I take um, olive oil and I I put it over the top of the turkey, and then I use maple syrup. And what that does is, if I baste it during the day when it's cooking, uh, it creates an incredible gravy base. Also use mm -hmm. rosemary, and I'll stuff it with um, a chestnut and wild rice um, uh, stuffing. I uh, use a little bit of whole wheat bread in there as well with spices, and it works beautifully. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds nice, Phil. Love the... Love the what, uh, is, is there a wine that's been most successful for you with this particular preparation? Because it definitely... That, that leans in a different direction than some of the traditional ones. Well, unfortunately, Tony, I, I've never followed your recommendations only because I'm a Cabernet lover. So then, I'll, I'll then, then drink Cabernet. Then drink Cabernet. You know, that, yeah, that's... That's good. Not but everyone likes here. every kind of music. If you know the kind of music that you like, listen to music that you like. Miles Davis. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, there but, but, but that's, so that's Cabernet. What, what does, okay. what's the uh, effect of the maple syrup on the skin? Does it Pardon become a bit, a bit of a crust? The, the maple syrup... On the skin well, yeah, of the turkey, does it, it, that form does, a bit of a crust? Create, yeah, it does create a little bit of a crusty um, top. It also keeps the, uh, you know, the turkey relatively moist. Of course, you know, you have to monitor it. And I usually take it out before, you know, if there's a, uh, some sort of a temperature pop-up, that you know, plastic thing. I try to take it out before then and let it sit. And, you know, just before it's going to pop. And that way um, it stays... Uh, very moist inside. And of course, the stuffing, I think, helps cook it to some extent as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. but uh, anyway, it, it's worked out beautifully over the years as, as a recipe. Everyone seems to like it. In fact, I, I created great. it in college right. uh, and I, I, I actually um, 
experimented for my then girlfriend who became my wife. <laughs> so I think it was probably good. <laughs> it worked. A good good recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phil's secret love turkey. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Well, when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food & Wine, we're happy to take more of your calls, 410-662-8780, or email us, formanwolf at wipr.org. We're talking Thanksgiving, uh, your secret recipes, tips, questions, um, whatever is on your mind about it. What pie do you like? What pie are you scared of? I was terrified of this meat pie when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that and more on Formidable on Food and Wine on WIPR. This is 88.1 WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today. We're taking your calls, 410-662-8780. We're talking Thanksgiving and everything around it. Uh, we have emails as well. Uh, you can email us, foremanwolf at wypr.org. And let's deal with a couple of emails, Cindy. Mm-hmm. I hope you're ready. I'm very ready. Oh, here we go. Always ready. Here we go. Mm-hmm. It's the big one. It's from Gretchen. Could you discuss dressing and stuffing? I grew up in Kentucky oh, yeah. with cornbread dressing. We were very specifically rolling the dressing into balls before baking, I assume for more crispy edges. My mother-in-law and my sister-in-law introduced me to their two separate stuffing recipes, but both include sausage and so are delicious. Before that, I thought stuffing was from Stovetop, the brand. In neither case do we put it in the bird. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts. Why don't you? Why don't you go first? I know you have stuffing. So I make a cornbread stuffing. Um, we make cornbread each day, so it's perfect. The next day to dice it, I dice it into a small dice, and I do a brunoise, which is the smallest of dice of andouille sausage. And for <clears throat> our, we we do corn sticks. So we I usually do about forty pieces of cornbread. And I would do one package of andouille sausage, which weighs uh, just about a pound, and um, dice up the sausage. I do four onions for that amount of bread. They're good-sized onions in a very small dice. And um, I saute the onions in a whole lot of butter. It's usually about a pound. And then I add the andouille sausage, work that for just a moment, and then I've got my cornbread cut up and in a big bowl. I add the butter, the on, the sautéed onions, and the andouille sausage. And I've added no seasoning at all at this point because it doesn't need – actually, I never add seasoning to my cornbread stuffing. It never needs anything. Um, I do add – after I've added those things together, I do add a little bit of fresh lemon juice. And I cannot tell you – how beautiful that that little thing of adding lemon juice to it. It just makes it so much better. And um, that's it for that. So I, you can easily put that in a casserole dish and just heat it up in the oven. I would add a little bit more uh, pats of butter to the top of it. Um, I would heat it up in a 350-degree oven. Um, and I also make a pecan stuffing that's uh, more traditional, onion, onion, lots of onion, lots of celery, sautéed in butter with salt and pepper from the very beginning. 
And then I use panko, uh, which is a very neutral, very crispy bread uh, crumb, and I add that and uh, uh, to the uh, onion, uh, celery, and butter after it's uh, done. And um, then I just break up toasted pecans in my hand. And we we use halves, so you can buy pieces, and then you wouldn't have to do that step. Uh, but add the pecans off the heat at the end, and then again, all you have to do to heat that up is put it in a casserole dish with again a few pats of butter and. 350-degree oven, and it will be wonderful for you. How about you, Tony? I think my favorite from when I was a kid, and I've never made it again, was my great-grandmother's uh, oyster stuffing. And mm. she would she would make that with, like, broken-up crackers <laughs> and uh, and fresh oysters, and almost like a, a little gratin dish uh, and cream and basically making a, and eggs and making a custard, basically. And, mm, okay. Uh, and a little nutmeg, and man, that was good. <laughs> yeah, oh I've also made ch- stuffing with chestnuts um, instead of the pecans, which, if, especially if you have chestnuts, you know, that are coming from your yard, your property, um, or if you can get them from somewhere else. Uh, but you know, having chestnuts around a few weeks ago, you might have uh, some of those reserved, and chestnut stuffing can be incredible. Um, and I make oyster stuffing as well, but I actually make it exactly like I make my pecan stuffing. I just don't put the pecans in, and I uh, saute chopped up uh, oysters and very quickly in a little bit of butter and add it right at the very end and all the juice from the pan. All right, Cindy, we've got a little speed round of calls to take care of. Okay, all right. Uh, that's going to mean we're going to have to be concise with our responses. So I can't fool around, okay? Let's talk to <laughs> Paige in Annapolis. Hi, Paige. Um, I have just started uh, spatchcocking chickens uh, in a cast iron uh, skillet, which has changed my life for the better. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking about trying it with um, a turkey for Thanksgiving, maybe like a 16-pounder. First of all, is it possible physically? And if so, is it even a good idea? What are you going to cook it in once you that's, spatchcock that, it? That's exactly. That's the first thing I thought. What in the world kind of pans do you have at your house that you can take a big bird like that and spread it out in a pan? You must have a... Well... What do you have? <laughs> I, I was actually at the store today with a measuring tape to see whether I could, mm. I could buy um, the biggest uh, uh, cookie sheet I could find and maybe build up the sides with some foil so that you know, it doesn't uh, spill over. But I'm thinking yeah. that maybe you're thinking this is not a good idea. I, I, it, it, I, it may be a lot to deal with unless you've yeah. got some giant roasting pan or unless you have unless you want to break that turkey down into quarters. Uh, mm-hmm. after you yeah, grind I, it. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. It's just too big of a bird. I mean, it's so think, good for chickens. I'm with you on that. Or even, you know, little birds, but yeah, I would that's a big bird to try and spread out <laughs> like that. Yeah, you almost need yeah. like uh, an eight burner stove with like a huge, and I, I mean, we, it would have to almost be industrial um, to have a, a, a flat top on top of your burners in order to do that. And then I don't know what you're going to do with it when you go into the oven. Yeah, okay, I've decided, don't do it, please. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. And I can't go to your house either. <laughs> no, no, I'll, not be big at, I'll be at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I'll be cooking for 400 people. Yeah. Um, no. You can come there. Thank, thank, thank you, Paige, for the, un, the, the unsolvable problem. <laughs> thank thanks, thanks for calling. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a thanks, good holiday. Bye. Let's talk to Jane in Aberdeen. Jane, how are you? Very well, thank you. Hi, Jane. Good. What's up? Hello? Jane? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. You. My question is, how do you keep 
the, the bottom crust, there's only one crust of a pumpkin pie, from being just kind of soggy and grayish and not appetizing. The, the filling is delicious, but the crust underneath is just soggy. Are you, are you pre-baking your pie crust? No, I have never pre-baked it. I thought then it would soak up even worse when you put the filling in. No. No, no, no. that will, that will no. save you. Yeah, that's what you need to do. So to pre-bake it, you know, you form your crust in your pan, you prick it with a fork, you put in parchment paper and some sort of weight, whether it's beans or you can buy like little metal pieces that you can put in there and you bake it in the oven until it's um, golden and you take it out and then you fill it and you bake your pie and you will be so much happier. I knew you could do that with with, um, like lemon meringue pie or cream pies, but I didn't know you could do that with a pumpkin pie. You, you, you absolutely can. You just, you have to make sure there's enough fat. Uh, honestly, Cindy's going to like this, that you have enough butter <laughs> in your crust um, uh-huh. to, to withstand the, the longer baking time. But yeah, that'll make all the difference mm-hmm. in the world. And what you'll end up with is a, a crust that's almost like fabulous cookies. Yes. Oh, very good. Well, thanks, Thank Jane. You. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Let's go to Candace on the Eastern Shore. Candace, Hi, how Candace. are you? Good morning. Thank Candace. you for a great show. Thank you. Thanks. What's up? Um, so what's this up? This is a sauerkraut story. Um, it, it's an unusual one, and it has a very humorous <laughs> twist to it. Um, <laughs> both uh, both sides of my family are uh, German, both, all born there. My mother was, and it's, it was an extremely German household. And my sister and I were quite small. We would always go to my mother's mother's for Thanksgiving and or Christmas, and there was always a massive pot on that big old-fashioned stove, and we were so curious. And uh, so I guess we got a step stool or a kitchen stool at one point, and we decided to be proactive and open the pot, and to our horror, to our horror, there were like four or five pig's feet in this massive pot of sauerkraut. (laughs) A lot of love there. Smart lady. That started started my history, and the whole family is good cooks. So that started my sojourn and figuring out my own uh, uh, personal style of, of grandmother's sauerkraut, which I do like you do, Cindy. I do put pork ribs in there, but it's it's graduated mm-hmm. to a whole different level. And um, my friends seem to enjoy it, which is always my test. So at any rate, the pig's awesome. feet will remain um, in my mind <laughs> in Delford for years. Oh, my gosh. Well, they have so much gelatin in. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And flavor. Oh, good heavens. I mean, you're not eat, you're not getting much meat, but you sure are getting a great broth from those things. That's why she did it. Smart lady. Yeah. Mm. Yep, she was smart. Right. And, I, you know, as, as good as I think I am at this and as good a cook as I think I am, I can never I can never get that sauerkraut right, quite right because I won't buy the pig's feet. But at any rate, oh. wishing you all a happy mm. Thanksgiving and thanks so much for you a wonderful too. show. Okay. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And your family. Happy Thanksgiving. We've got time for one more call, Craig in Baltimore. Craig, we've got to be speedy. How are you? Hi, Craig. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Hey, I just wanted to, um, I'm really excited about the sauerkraut um, aspect of the show. I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) And um, I grew up in a household where my mother was very interested in her uh, German heritage by way of Southern Ohio and Southern Indiana. Um, But, you know, we did not do sauerkraut for Thanksgiving or anything like that. Um, I happened to inherit all her old crocs from her mother and grandmother, actually grandmothers, um, and some from my, my father's grandmothers, too, which I'm sure made many a, 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 a um, 
many sauerkrauts uh, in their past, but um, I've started. I, what I find is is best is actually make my own sauerkraut to ferment it. I find it's much more, wow. um, you know, much richer flavor. And mm-hmm. but I'm not using the crocs. What I actually do is I use uh, like Speedo jars, the, the jars with the gaskets and the the wire trap lids, which are really wonderful for um, you know the anaerobic fermentation, the fermentation without Good. exposure to oxygen that you need. Um, I, mm-hmm. It's ironic because you have the show today and I just was making a batch of sauerkraut. Um, That's great. And looking forward mm. to Thanksgiving where I get to um, introduce to my uh, in-laws the, the um, pleasures of uh, sauerkraut for uh, Thanksgiving that we have in Baltimore mm. here. So That is fantastic. Um, I just wanted to share that idea and like just thank you for, for talking about about this very unique Baltimore, you know, tradition. Who knew that Baltimore was the world capital of sauerkraut enjoyment (laughs) in the modern age? Yeah. Thanks for the jar info too. That's awesome. It's really funny, but I I definitely appreciate the show and thank you so much for, for uh, bringing all this stuff to life. Thanks, Greg. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to do the 45 second uh, wine recommendations for Thanksgiving that I know I have to get in there. Um, <laughs> if you're if you go to this shelf and ask for Alsace, uh, if it's Riesling, Pinot Blanc, um, Sylvaner, those are lighter, a little tiny bit sweet, cover the meal no problem. Pinot Gris, Gewürztraminer, bigger, richer, sweeter, cover the meal no problem. Champagne covers any meal, Thanksgiving included, no problem. Uh, for reds, a little bit trickier. Top of my list, uh, really good Beaujolais. Uh, also, some French Syrah, like from Saint-Joseph or something like that, if you want something with more power. Uh, I respect the cab, but, you know, that's that would not be my choice because that's going to crush your turkey. Um, Pinot, West Coast Pinot does well with it. Uh, Burgundy, less so. Uh, if you're committed to being Italian about things, uh, I would drink a Dolcetto uh, from Piemonte uh, with your turkey. And what else? If you really want to be a German, the wine I mentioned earlier, because your sauerkraut is your whole dedication at Thanksgiving, then uh, look for a Falz Riesling. Uh, Falz is spelled P-F-A-L-Z. Uh, the producer's name is Christmann. Uh, there's also excellent uh, Rieslings from the Nahe, N-A-H-E, uh, you're super vintages. If you find the 19 on the shelf, they're really magical. So there you go. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. So if you, we're out of time. So if you want to download this program or any one of our others, you can go looking for podcasts. Go to the WYPR website, WYPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page. And there's a whole drop down of goodies that you can uh, find there. If you want to email with us, uh, we didn't get to everything today. Thank you for your emails. Wolf at WIPR.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook as Chef Wolf. Uh, my Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>